0: I'm happy to say we've got John and McLean back again. You know, regular guest, always got lots and lots of information. I can just throw questions at him and he just answers the questions. He doesn't need to prepare, need to see any questions almost. You know, he just says, yep, righto, you just throw them at me and I'll answer them. So I just think with that sort of knowledge, I'm very happy to welcome again John and McLean to Horse Chats today. But before we do that, I've just got to remind you about International Horse College. And if you'd like to work in the horse industry, but just not sure where to start, then have a chat to our friendly team at internationalhorsecollege.com. With the wide variety of horse courses from the complete beginner through to the qualified professional and students in 20 countries all over the world, we'll be able to consider your individual requirements and guide you in the right direction. Simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com now and start the conversation. Registered Training Organisation number, 31352. Now, Jonna, we're talking about bits and beating today. How are you? I'm very well, Dennis.
1: How are you coping up there?
0: Oh, very good. Look, look. often you talk about bits and beating and it's almost the good, the bad and the ugly. You know, everyone's got lots of different opinions about them. So I'm sure with your many, many, many years of working in the horse industry and working with horses and always working to consider the welfare of the horses. I'm very interested in um, chatting to you today about bits and bitting. As far as us going up here, we're in Queensland, so we're certainly going a lot better than you guys down there in Victoria. So, (laughs) you know, things here haven't changed a lot. I've been doing a lot of travelling, a lot of workshops, catching up on our previous lockdowns, but we're certainly a long way from where you guys are down there in Victoria at the moment.
1: Yeah, we're really good down here. Glennis, we're um slowly but surely ebbing away at the uh, at the numbers and things are looking better. So we all we're all just trying to stay positive and try and stay busy. Um and I'm getting a whole lot of work done at home because I can't travel at all. So I, I actually really like it. I could live like this, so I'm I'm actually in my element at the moment. I'm not sure my my wife is saying the same thing, but um Yes, now I'm getting lots of work around the place.
0: It's well. Good, well done, well done. Now, if we talk about bit, I can remember my grandfather used to say to me, you know, you'd say just a bit, and he'd say, well, a bit's more than what a horse can swallow. But what is a bit? Talk to me about what a bit. You know, think coming from a person of a non-horse background. If you were going to explain to them what a bit is, what would you say?
1: I would say that it's an item that you've placed in a horse's mouth that should, and I put that in capital letters, should give you more control of the horse. So it's basically an item that you place in a horse's mouth that should give you more control.
0: All right, perfect. Now, tell us about the history of bidding. I mean, obviously, bits have been around for a long, long time, Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how they were introduced or why they were introduced or who introduced, just anything at all? Because this is, bidding is not something that we've just brought in in the 21st century to give us that control. What information have you got there?
1: So my understanding of this history of bidding all centres around our ability to be able to harness the horse's energy and turn the horse into something that can help us uh, become more prosperous um, as human beings. And that sometimes involves war. And when we start talking about war, we mean horses that need to be able to pull carriages, horses that need to be able to accommodate riders, and sometimes they were one and the same. So the horse needed to be driven, but it also needed to be ridden. Um, But the horse had to be controlled when it's in a really tough environment, an environment that none of us probably um, in this era could possibly understand, where there is complete mayhem and madness everywhere, and the horses are really scared, and the only level of pain that the horse could actually understand was a really high level of pain, and that's what a bit can produce. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, you don't see any photos or anything anywhere really where the horses are really at close quarters in battle without bits in their mouths. And that's because when the horse wants to flee and tow you, it all comes down to your ability to be able to put enough pressure in the horse's mouth to actually make it listen to you. And that's a lot of that is so centered upon training. But going further back down into the ages where we were really trying to discover the world, some of the horses, as I've said before, were being ridden And they were also being driven. And sometimes we had bits, and I have one of these bits in my possession, actually. It's from a shipwreck off King Island. And um, that bit is a bit that you can drive with, but it's a a straight part with uh, a double D on each side made of pure brass found off a shipwreck, as I said. And you can drive with that bit. You can also attach reins to it as well, so you can ride with it. So... You know, Bittin has an amazing... And the number of bits on the market is extraordinary. I've seen some of the most amazing collections of bits um, that you could imagine. And uh, some of them are just, you know, they're really really quite horrendous uh, in terms of how severe they are. And I think that's probably one of the things that we'll end up talking about um, in this conversation is that, you know, do we really need a bit? So, you know... These are all really good ethical questions that we should be asking ourselves because these because we, we we don't get anywhere unless we ask ourselves these questions, these hard questions.
0: Yeah, well, that was the next question. You know, is it just about the control? I mean why do we need a bit? just go into a bit more depth there?
1: It is about the control because I means that we're trying to try and you know, we're never to increase the degree of predictability. That comes with the, with the horse's training. So with the horses in, a, in its familiar environments, our context and its custom, that's all fine and the horse is going well. But everybody knows, anybody that's ridden a number of horses, that when the context becomes really unfamiliar and the horse starts to get scared, whether it be cross-country, show jumping or out for a horse ride, it doesn't matter, or mushroom cattle, and the horse gets a bit of a fight, all of a sudden the signals are required to get the horse's attention. All of a sudden... Increasing exponentially, so it means that the amount of pressure that it takes to control the horse now is nothing what it was like a minute ago, and that's the advantage of a bit. Is that you can be really light, you can be really uh, very, very, very um, uh, tactful with the bit uh, as a rider. But then sometimes when the horse does something that says, well, I'm out of control and I'm leaving now, and the horse says that it's in control, the rider then has to say, no, 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 you can't do that. That's not a, not a good thing to do. And it's a bit that will enable you, hopefully, um, with, with, with good training um, that will make the horse then respond and reverse its, um, reverse its intentions and, and come back into um, your line, so to speak.
0: I suppose the next thing I'd ask is how should the bits be used? You know, you want them to come back and I suppose to align with what you're thinking, but if there's a correct way to use a bit and an incorrect way, can you explain it to us a little bit?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really complex question, isn't it, Glenn? because it has so many facets, but I'll apply them and explain it in the purest style I can. And the easiest way to explain it is is that every time you use pressure, um, you should always precede that pressure with a very, very light signal with the bit. So in other words, you just a just a light touch with the rein or a light squeeze with the wrist or, or whatever whatever you depending on what you'd like, whether you'd like a downward transition or more bend or more flashing, um, without getting too complex, but it should always be preceded by a light signal. And then if it's not listened to, then that is really your uh then your cue as a rider say, he didn't listen to that one. Okay, so now I need to follow through on that. I need to make more pressure happen. But rather than just going really high pressure straight away and making the horse more scared in the mouth, and we, we've all heard about that, horses with a scared mouth, and I've ridden plenty of those horses that have got a scared mouth. they just completely scared of any contact with the bit and do really random dangerous behaviours. Um, we want to avoid that. And that's because uh, high pressures without a an initial, can I say, uh, Q first, a light aid first, has has occurred so that it wasn't transferred. So we want to avoid that. So every time we use the D, we need to give a light pressure, then follow it through with pressure. But immediately, and this is the key part, immediately, as I said in, in the other interviews, immediately once we get the... Uh, uh, can I say the appropriate response, which is... Not maybe something that we would like ultimately to have, but something simple that is in the direction of what we want. So, in other words, a very good try or a, um, a basic response, as we say. As soon as you get a basic response, and then we reward that. And the reward is the release of pressure. And this is where a lot of our um, network uh, in the horse world doesn't go well because people don't understand the value of the release of pressure. They miss the opportunity. So then they think that they need to break the horse's spirit by teaching them who's boss. And that's where we've gone completely wrong. That's where it's become unethical and dangerous.
0: Okay, so it's the release of pressure that teaches the horse to respond to the bit, not the actual pressure itself. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes. Well, it's actually the two. It's actually both of them because if you apply the pressure, if you don't, if you don't apply an increase of pressure, you probably won't get a change in the um, behaviour. So then you can't release it. So you need increase the increased pressure. So then, when the horse does the right thing you know, and puts its foot in the wrong place or it canters or turns or stops or whatever it does, then, and you release the pressure uh, immediately once you've done that action, then we start to get this crystalline moments in our horse training where the pressure has actually caused a reaction and we've reinforced that reaction by the release of the pressure. So it's a bit like, you know, they're all very well having a Christmas cake, but with that icing, it's actually
0: not a cake at all. Stop! I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry 101 Careers in the Horse Industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Now, sometimes riders will say, oh, I prefer this type of it, or I always ride in this type of bit. You know, were they sort of looking at the what they prefer to ride in? I mean, why would they ride in a particular type of bit? Is it the style of riding they do, the way they ride, the combination of the two, or...? Can you just explain why riders would use a certain type of
1: bit? Yeah, another another big question, this one, is because everybody has taken notice of everybody and then come along and said, okay, this is the sort of bit I'm riding in. It was only, it was only a couple of days ago, I gave a lesson to a lady, she had a porcelain bit, and she said, my horse really likes this bit. And I said, my horse, does that mean your horse is going well? And she said, yes. Yeah. And then uh, I could do a little bit further, but under pressure, the horse doesn't go well. So, in other words, when she asks for more and she increases the agency or the, or the, the very, uh, responsiveness to the horse, it actually doesn't go that well. So, you know, everybody has their own perspectives because they listen to, they may listen to the vet, they may listen to the dentist, they may listen to the coach, and they may listen to their best friend, but they also see what everybody else is riding in. Well, So there's so many factors that influence people um, with what bits they put in their horse's mouth. My horse has a light pallet, therefore he has to have this, or my horse does this, and therefore he does that. Now, everybody has an excuse as to why they use that bit, and I'm the same. I, I had an excuse as to why I use the bit that I used to use as well. But by the same token, and I can say this, and this is a, a fairly big call, not once out of all the lessons that I've done and out of all the horses that I've ever ridden, have I said, you need to change this bit, it's not suitable. Never once have I done that. And the reason I haven't done that is because if they've turned up to me and they said to me that they really like this bit, then it is actually a matter of training. So what the written horse doesn't respond to the way they would like it to with the bit, whether it be whatever response they want, whether it be bend or flexion or or, or, or stopping, or turning, or whatever it is, or a half-hole. The only reason that it doesn't do that is because they haven't trained it. So the reason that I haven't changed in a bit on the horses that I ride is because they haven't trained. It. And every single time I've gone in there and trained in, it's worked. So it doesn't matter whether a person turns up with a piece of string in their horse's mouth or a, 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 big fat, a big fat bit or whatever bit it is. You can train the horse to go with whatever you like in his mouth, and that is probably the best lead point that we can probably get to being able to understand why they're having a bitless bridle really works. Well. Because once we start talking bitless, then what we're really saying is that this person doesn't like putting a bit in a horse's mouth because they don't think it's ethical. therefore, they're going to have to get really good at their pressure release systems because now when you up the pressure, it doesn't actually have the same degree of calling that a bit possibly would have on the same duties. I believe that's my opinion.
0: I'm going to ask you a bit more about the bitless in a minute, but just thinking, because you had said about, you know, horses with a low palate, and I'm thinking, you know, different horses, different conformation, you know, getting very fine, elegant, you know, Arabians, and then and then you might get a you know like a a heavy horse a draft horse or something different types of bits for the different type of confirmation is that something that's real or just made up
1: no that's another big question because i if, if i was a dentist i'd be able to answer that question and i'm not and so i have a very good horse dentist who's a very very close friend of mine and um he has come and given lectures to my students over the years, for the last three years. And I don't think that there will be any single time where I haven't actually picked up something that I haven't heard, um, that I, you know, that I haven't heard before. I've always learned something. So, you know, he is able to offer something from an anatomical description, as, as the vets can do as well. But also, in conjunction with that, we have to ask ourselves, if we're changing a bit or we're recommending a new bit because my horse is doing XYZ, how do we know it's not training? And I come back to that because I can I can put a lead rope in a horse's mouth and do exactly the same with a lead rope in a horse's mouth as you can do with a bit. Well a lead rope in your mouth can't be that comfortable. I wouldn't use as, nice as a bit, I wouldn't have thought. I mean, as I always say you know, the the bit and how well your horse goes is actually up to the handler, and, and it's true. It, it's it's in the holder of, of the of the reins. So, you know, um, what we try to do with the bit is actually, I would say, more governed by us than anybody. And having, and the reason that I say that is that I don't know how many wheelings I've done, hundreds and hundreds of wheelings now. That um, every time I put a bit in a horse's mouth for the very first time. And in my case, it's actually usually a D-shaped plastic rearing bit or anti-rearing bit they have arms. But it's a continuous D, and so the flat part goes in the horse's mouth, but it's only made of plastic or It's actually rubberized plastic. It's quite malleable. And you can, get, you can get the horse, as soon as you pop it in their mouth, and try to push it out, push it out, push it out, push it out with the tongue. But the... You actually have really good control mechanisms on the ground, so your groundwork is really good. The horse will stand, it will go, it will turn, it will reverse, and it will park. Don't now bit anymore. So that actually tells us something valuable. It tells us that once the horse understands that the commands from a bit make the pressure go away, there's no conflict. So... You know, it's that, that, the same of the bit of, and the same the is vital. So, it's a, it's a very, very interesting world. But as a you know, I've never, I've, I've made quite a few adjustments to bits and sometimes I've had to actually put them up the right way or or I've, I've had to change um, the speaker tinkings because the bits were hanging down on the horse's um, uh, lower jaw and... Um, but other than that, I haven't actually had to change the bit itself because we want the bit to be as stiff as possible. And I was only riding horse yesterday for the first time in months. I haven't given a lesson in months. And and uh, the lady asked me, said, why does he keep chopping in the bit and how can I fix this contact issue? And I said, well, the contact issue is related to everything else that precedes it. But does he understand what go means, does he understand what turn means, does he understand all the things that uh, constitute, you know, a, a, a malleable riding horse, walk, cotton, canter. Does he understand that clearly, especially all the signals, not just from the bit, but also the legate? So you can cause conflict to the bit by having very poor abs from the leg. That's crazy. So, you can, and, and of course... Um, You may have and I may have said this before. Is if there's any conflict in the horse, it will be exhibited by its mouth and its tail. And if it's in the mouth and the bit's there, you'll get it because the horse will fit in the bit. So horses will chop at the bit and find man with the mouth and all those sort of things. Those horses aren't relaxed. that, they're they're, they're quite tense.
0: Now, I'm thinking about the alternatives because you sort of touched on them a little bit before. We've been using bits for centuries and centuries and. And the alternatives are fairly new. I won't say new because, you know, they had quite a few last century, but this century, the bitless, the hackamores riding in halters, are they progress to make it better for the horse or are they just fads? Or tell us a little bit more. Do they suit some horses, some riders, some situations or not? Or when a bit's better than bitless or when is bitless better than bitting? It's a big question. Yes. <laughs> it's probably about half a dozen questions
1: altogether. Yeah. I know. You've been throwing some good ones up me tonight, but um, my answer to that will be quite simple. And that is, I am we going to know the answer to that unless a horse can talk for us. But I think that we can also say, that whether it be bitless or whether it be a bit or whether it be a, a bicycle or whether it be a hackamore or whatever we're riding the horse in, or a head collar for that matter, that if if it's treated well, in other words, there's not a lot of movement when you apply the pressure. You don't want movement with the bow or the bit when you apply pressure. You don't want movement um, from the uh, uh, basal or the head collar or the rope halter or any of the bitless um, uh, hackamore, for example. You don't want a lot of movement. You just want it to be able to apply the pressure without you know, moving around on the horse's head a lot. That makes control a whole lot more challenging when a horse can move around inside an item. So I think the only answer to that is the only way without asking the horse, and the horses can't talk, so they can't answer that for us, the only way we can discern this is the quicker they're able to establish um, aids clearly and the horse understands that when it does the right thing, and the pressure's removed, whether it be a bit or not, then the horse will stand there and not show any conflict towards the bit or the bitless bridle, then that's the end So it doesn't matter. And we're seeing we've seen some pretty amazing things now. We're seeing rule changes, you know, international level, where uh, riding in a bitless bridle is now doable. That, that was unthinkable, you know, even 10 years ago. So, you know, people... I think people are realizing now that if they can have a horse that has had a lot of conflict in its life with a bit in its mouth, then if they retrain the age with a bit less bridle, they have a better horse. And they're absolutely right. And it's exactly the same. Some horses are really, really good if you only have them with your decade, but they don't go so well when you ride them with a the whip. So, you know, I think we should go with whatever produces the most amount of conflict to make the horse alive better.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm sort of thinking the benefits of the bits, but I think it pretty much explained that we're really looking at what suits the horse the best. If you were going for the bit, okay, and you're experimenting and just saying, well, what's going to work best for this horse? Is there a, a type of bit that you might start the horse in? You know, just to say, right, I'm about to ride this horse. Let's have this type of bit to try the horse in. Do you have a special favourite that you like to try them in first?
1: So if I'm going to choose a bit um, for my horse to find out whether this is a suitable bit and let's say, for example, that I'm riding a young horse and I'm taking him out for a ride out and I thought, well, what I'd really like to do, I would like to try and get the bit that would be synonymous with the bit that I'm going to compete in. It would be nice if it was the same bit for all three phases if I'm an event rider but I'd like to be able to have one bit the whole time. And I'm not a great fan of trying to change bridles and have three different bridles for three different phases. I'd like to be in the same same bridle the whole time if I can. So for me, for the young horse, I would like a maybe just a, a, a like a de-racing snapple in a miler style so it's got a little bit of a bend to it, not too thick, not too thin, um, but then If I feel that the horse is not really all that comfortable in it, I'll play around with the configuration using the same dimensions and the same diameters, but I might go, I don't know, try a straight path or um, ask the dentist, you know, what do you think about this horse's um, conformation with his mouth? But by the same token, usually if I come down this track, I've got a fairly good idea at this point that the uh, horse that I'm riding is pretty comfortable in his groundwork in a certain bit. So that is going to be the same bit that I ride him in, whether it be um, dressage or whether it be um, show jumping or cross-country training or whatever it is. I try not to change anything if I can because all I'm really doing is that every time I change something, I'm potentially changing my horse's ability to be able to hear what I'm trying to say with the rein, and I don't need that. I need it to be... Um, staying the same. So that would be my favourite bit. And the other thing is, too, is that it's a a nice flat bit. It's fairly unobtrusive and um, they're easy to acquire. Lots of people have them. So if I forget my bridle, I can get one. Um, There's lots of reasons behind it. And the other thing is that very rarely have I had a problem with um, horses um, in those bits at all. So actually only when I've had to re-educate or retrain horse's responses um, using much more powerful bits that I've, that I've had issues. But that, that, that's, that's a different story. Again, you know, trying to remodel and reshape a horse's behaviour because his bit responses haven't been right for the last 10 years is a really big task. And sometimes it's far easier to remodel um, in a bitless title because then it's a completely new system.
0: All right, I I think that's um, very good advice. Now, John, if we're going to just do a bit of a summary, you know, on bits and bidding. So if someone talked to you about bits and bidding and you you just wanted to give your overall try this or do this or, you know, without going into all the detail, what would you say just to summarise?
1: I think to summarise is that don't be so inclined to change a bit and don't blame what you're getting because of the bit. Blame yourself before you blame the bit. Because, you know, uh, there's a lot of companies, a lot of people have made a lot of money, and there's a lot of enterprises out there that continue making a lot of money, exploiting the fact that their horses will love them a whole lot more because they're a different bit. Well, it's garbage. It's not, not going to happen. Uh, really, it's all about what you do with the bit. Remember that we are in control of when the pressure is applied and when it's removed. And if you're not good at that, it doesn't matter what bit you put in your horse's mouth, you'll end up at the same point as you are now. So you have to look at yourself before you look at the bit. And as I said before, is it, if we can do that, and we can make sure that we apply really good signals, you know, a light aid and a stronger aid, and then as soon as the horse gives us a response, remove the pressure, that's not hard to remember and it's not difficult to do. But when your emotions get in the way or the horse's behavior make you lose your uh, emotional control, then then training is lost. We are gone. We are done.
0: Okay. Okay. I think very good advice. Um, you know, I think just, Jonah talks about not just bits and beating, but just this general philosophy for training. You know, we're trying to make the horse comfortable, make the horse understand what we would like them to do make sure that the horse is rewarded or made comfortable for doing the right thing yeah and i think that just follows through with all your training Jonna. so i've got to say thanks for coming on again and thanks for um you know just continuing to support horse chats and tell us all about you know because you're the type exactly the type of person that we want to promote on the show, you know, one that's really on the horse's side. And I think, um, you know, if we just keep getting everyone that's on the horse's side that can understand horses a little bit more, then then as far as Horse Chats goes, we've done our job in um, promoting that whole horse welfare to the rest of the world. So thank you for that. And hopefully we'll catch up with you again soon. But before we go, Jonna, contact details. People would like to contact you about lessons, about workshops. I know that travel sometimes can be a bit difficult, but I'm sure if they contact you... And particularly if they've got a problem with a horse or, or um, you know, just something they'd like to talk to you about, what's the best way? Is it your Facebook page? Do you want to tell us a bit more information?
1: Yeah, my Facebook page, um, just John and McLean, um, but also my Train to Win Facebook page as well. And also my email, which is at um, is available there. And on my Facebook page, I've got my phone number so people can text me. But um generally people make inquiries through my Train to Win page and um, that's where I'm uh, going to try and start to uh, develop a, a new contact platform for people that um, I can't get to because I don't know how long this is all going to go for. But it also means that when we can't get to one another, we can still make um, education ongoing, which is exactly what you're doing. So, yeah, that's right. all
0: right. Wonderful, Jonna, great to talk to you. And um, remember also, too, if you didn't get all those details, just go to horsechats.com and search for Johnna or search for McLean and you'll find all those details on the many, many chats that John has done and you'll just find those at the bottom of the page and you'll be able to contact him. So thanks again, Jonna, and we'll talk to you again soon.
1: Uh, thanks, Glenn. It's always a pleasure.
0: <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.